John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Burkett notes, Observe here how busy and industrious our Holy Lord was about his Father's work, both on the sea and on the land, both by night and by day. His meat was to do the will of him that sent him, and to finish his work. Some have inquired into the reasons why Christ traveled by sea, as well as by land, and they seem to be these. 1. To show what was his intent in making the sea, namely to be sailed upon, as the land was made to be walked upon. 2. That Christ might take occasion to manifest his deity in working miracles upon the sea, as well as upon the land. 3. Might it not be to comfort and encourage seafaring men that dwell much upon the waters, in the midst of their distress? to trust in and pray to such a Savior as had himself an experimental knowledge of the danger of the seas. Some have farther observed that after our Savior's resurrection we never find him sailing upon the seas more, for such a turbulent condition which necessarily attends sea voyages was utterly inconsistent with the stability and perpetuity of Christ's state when he was risen from the dead, the firm land better agreeing with his fixed estate than the fluctuating waters. Verse 2 And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Burkett notes, Observe here what an exact knowledge Christ had, not only of all his followers, but of the motives and principles which did induce them to follow him. It was not the excellency of his person, nor the heavenliness of his doctrine that drew the multitude at this time after him, but the novelty of his miracles. They saw the miracles which he did. It's better to feel one miracle wrought upon the heart in changing and renewing that than to see a thousand outward miracles wrought before our eyes. Verses 3 through 14. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. Burkett notes, The miracle of our Savior's feeding five thousand persons with five barley loaves and two small fishes is recorded by all the four evangelists, and several particulars therein are very remarkable. Observe one, what a poor and slender provision the Lord of the whole earth has for his family, for himself, for his disciples, and for the multitude nothing more than five barley loaves and two fishes, teaching us that these bodies of ours must be fed, not pampered. Our bellies must not be our master, much less our God. 
and as the quality of the victuals was plain, so was the quantity small, only five loaves and two fishes. Well might the disciples say, What are they among so many? The eye of sense and reason sees an utter impossibility of those effects which faith can easily apprehend, and a divine power more easily produce. When men judge by sense and reason, and do not look to Christ's power, if extremities come, they are soon at their wit's end, and do not know what to do. Observe, too, how the great master of this miraculous feast doth marshal his guests. He commands them to sit down. None of the people reply, Sit down, but to what? Here's the mouths, but where's the meat? We may soon be set, but when shall we be served? Not a word like this, but they obey and expect. Lord, how easy it is to trust thy providence and rely upon thy power when there's corn in the barn, bread in the cupboard, money in the purse. When our stores are empty, when our stocks run low, and when we have nothing in hand, then to depend upon an invisible bounty is a noble act of faith indeed. Observe 3. The actions performed by our blessed Savior. 1. He blessed the loaves, teaching us by his example never to use or receive the good creatures of God without prayer and praise, not to sit down to our food as a beast at his fodder. 2. Christ broke the loaves. He could have multiplied them whole. Why then doth he rather choose to do it in the breaking? Perhaps to teach us that we may rather expect his blessings in the distribution of his bounty than in the reservation of it. Scattering is the way to increasing, and liberality the way to riches. Again, three, he gave to his disciples that they might distribute to the multitude. He did not do it with his own hands, but by theirs. Doubtless it was to gain reputation to his disciples from the people. The same course does Christ take in spiritual distributions. He that could feed the souls of his people immediately by the hand of his spirit chooses rather by the hands of his ministers to divide the bread of life among them. Observe for the reality and greatness of the miracle. They did all eat and were filled. They did eat not a crumb or a bit, but to satiety and fullness. All that were hungry did eat, and all that did eat were satisfied. Yet twelve baskets of fragments remained. More is left than what was at first set on. Tis hard to say which is the greatest miracle, the miraculous eating or the miraculous leaving. If we consider what they ate, we may wonder that they left anything. If what they left, that they ate anything. Observe lastly, these fragments, though of barley loaves and fish bones, must not be lost but gathered up. We must exercise frugality in the enjoyment of the greatest plenty. Lord, how tremendous will their account be, who, having large and plentiful estates, do consume them upon their lusts. How will they wish they had been born to poverty and necessity when they appear to make up their accounts before God? Verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain, himself alone. Burkett notes, Here we have observable the wonderful effects of the foregoing miracle. The people seeing so many thousands fed with five loaves were so transported that they concluded Jesus was certainly the promised Messiah. Now the notion they had of the Messiah was this, that he should be a temporal prince that should subdue all nations under his feet and particularly free the Jews from the slavery of the Roman yoke, which was now upon their necks. Forgetting our Savior had often told them that his kingdom was not of this world, but within men and that his business was to free men from soul slavery, not from civil subjunction. 
However, upon this mistake, the Jews here, in a furious zeal, designed to take Christ by force and make him their king. But our Savior, who came not into the world to disturb the order of civil governments, understanding their intentions, withdraws himself to a mountain to avoid giving the least occasion for any jealousy or suspicion. Learn hence that although Jesus Christ be the great king of his church, and doth exercise a spiritual kingdom in it, yet he came not into the world to be a temporal king, nor was his kingdom of this world, or ever designed to be prejudicial to the thrones of princes and civil governments of men. Therefore does Christ withdraw himself, and refuse all this offer, as no ways agreeable to him or consistent with his design. Verses 16 through 21. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea, and entered into a ship, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reasons of a great wind that blew. So when they'd rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the water, and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, whither they went. Burkett notes, Observe here the great danger the disciples were in and the difficulties they encountered with after they had enjoyed the sweet privileges of Christ's gracious presence with them. They were tossed upon a tempestuous sea. Learn hence that it is not unusual, after sweet refreshments and manifestations of Christ unto his people, to meet with a stormy and sharp exercise of faith and patience. Such was the lot of his disciples here. A constant gale of sweetness and uninterrupted course of prosperity and happiness, as it is not to be expected here, so neither can it be enjoyed here without great peril and danger. Observe, too, what haste our Savior makes towards his disciples when they were tossed upon a tempestuous sea. Jesus drew nigh unto the ship. Nothing can separate between nor keep Christ from his children and people in a suffering hour. He that waited through a sea of wrath to save his people will walk upon a sea of water to succor and relieve them in an hour of tribulation. Observe 3. The disciples not discerning Christ, not knowing him to be their Savior, were afraid of him. Christ may be coming to save his people, and they not able at present to discern and apprehend him, but their fears may be highest when their deliverer and deliverance is nearest. Observe here 4 how speedily Christ relieves them of their fears by telling them who he was. It is I, be not afraid. It is a sufficient support in all our afflictions to be assured of Christ's gracious presence with us. Say but, O Savior, it is I, and then let evils do their worst. For that one word, it is I, is sufficient to ally all storms and to calm a thousand tempests. Observe lastly, with what joy and gladness the disciples receive and entertain Christ in this hour of their distress. They willingly received him into the ship. Though the company of Christ is always sweet and welcome to his disciples and friends, yet never is it so very agreeable and desirable to them as in the hour of trial and temptation. Then they willingly receive him and joyfully welcome and entertain him. <laughs>